matter. Um, we're, we're returning to 1 Thessalonians this morning. I'm going to be preaching on the first 12 verses of chapter 4. The culture that we live in says that you need to discover your most authentic self and to live in line with it. We have a problem with that because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have a maker who has a claim over us and over the way that we live. And when we submit to Jesus' lordship, we surrender any claim to self-determination. We, we surrender any claim to, to be the me that I want to be, and we say, God, I will be the me that you have made me to be. And, and over the years, I've seen people agonizing over this, not in the sense that, that I might talk about, thank you, darling, um, not in the sense that I might talk about, but in, in terms of, am I, am I living in God's will for my life? Am I doing what God wants me to do? And, and I know that most of the time, I'm more laid back than most people, but, but actually, I, this is a really simple question for me. You know, when someone says, what should I do with my life? My, my first question is usually, well, what do you want to do? And when they say, oh, I want to do this, as long as it's not sinful, I just say, well, just do that then. Not a big deal, is it? Just do it. Now, as I say, I know I'm very laid back. But I, I, I go to places like Micah 6, verse 8. It says, you know, O oh man, what the Lord requires of you, that you do justice, you act with mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. What else should we do? It's just day to day, isn't it? It's just live right day to day. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Studying 1 Thessalonians has given me another verse to help people agonising over whether they are doing the right thing in their life or not. And so after today, if anyone says to you, if you ever have a conversation with anyone and they say, what should I do with my life? I just don't know whether I'm in God's purposes for my life. What should I do? You can tell them this. This is from the passage we're going to look at today. And it says, this is the will of God for you your sanctification. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Now, if you're not much of a theology buff, sanctification is a pretty important word. It refers to the ongoing work of God in our lives by his Holy Spirit to conform us more and more to the image of God's Son. Justification is a, another important word. It refers to a legal decree that God has made over us. We are forgiven. We are, we are without guilt. We are innocent. We have been forgiven. That is, that is eternally true. It is true of us right now. It will be true of us forever. And yet, although sin has been disarmed on the cross and sin no longer has any power over us, we still sin. And there is still sin among us. And so we need God to work in us, to change us, to make us more like him, to cause our lives to come into line with his will for us. That is 
sanctification. And it's a wonderful process, and it's the process of a lifetime. As I say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite a laid-back person. I, I, I love, most of the time, there are times when I do, as we all do, I feel like I come under a weight of condemnation, and it's not from God. But actually, most of the time, when I'm encountered with my imperfection, I find there, and I hope you do too, a God who loves you and who wants to lead you on. So that when we encounter, oh, I'm not perfect, <laughs> rather than feeling a, a weight of condemnation, which is not from God, but actually in that moment, we encounter a God who loves us so deeply and who calls us on. We can have hope in those moments. We can enjoy the process of sanctification because as God is working in us, we encounter more of his love, we encounter more of his grace and his patience and his kindness towards us. So we're, we're back in 1 Thessalonians, I'm in chapter 4 today. The first three chapters have essentially been Paul talking about his relationship with the Thessalonian church. And from those three chapters, I, I drew some principles on what makes a church a good church and what makes a leader a good leader. And it was just a, it was just a story, really, so I drew some principles out. Today, Paul actually moves on to some teaching. And... Um, but I don't want to call this passage, this message today, what makes a good Christian. Because there's a danger when we say what makes a good Christian, that we think like the rich young ruler who, when presented with a list of things that he must do, he goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorted. And so I really don't want to call it that. But in every translation that I've read, the passage that we're going to be reading today is called Living to Please God. And I'm going to read that now. So if you'd like to turn with me, if you have a Bible or a phone, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. I'm going to be reading from the ESV and it may well come up on the screen behind me as well. By the way, if you see John T. later, congratulate him. He jumped in on the words for us uh, and did an amazing job. Um, because I forgot to tell my daughter that she was singing today. Uh, and she was also on the words. So... Um, well done, everyone, for jumping in at the last minute. Um, so, 1 Thessalonians 4, living to please God. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control your own bodies in holiness and honour, not in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and with your own hands as we instructed you. 
so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love how uh, Paul starts this. Um, if you, well, you have, because I know I've done this. Paul starts chapter 4 saying, finally. Paul's not finished. <laughs> so whenever a preacher says, and so, to sum up, <laughs> they're not finished. Paul's not finished here. He's going to go on from here to talk about sexual immorality, to talk about work, to talk about bereavement, to talk about the future coming of Jesus, and only then will he actually begin to finish. So I'm only just going to make a few short points and then we're going to finish. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Paul, Paul says here that God's will for the church in Thessalonica, and as we read this, knowing this is the word of God and although it's not written to us, we can learn from this, we can, we can hear God's heart for his people in this letter, God's will for us is our sanctification. Paul is particularly concerned with two things, he's concerned with their sex lives and he's concerned with their work. We are equally concerned with following God, aren't we? We're equally concerned with our sanctification. We want to be more like Jesus, don't we? As I say, I know we can joyfully almost, that's, that, no, it's not the right word, but, but we, can, we can without shame and without guilt and without fear encounter our sin and know that God loves us and know that there is hope and know that sin has no power over us and that we can be free from any uh, hold that sin might seek to have on us, but we long for those things to not be present in our life anymore, don't we? You know, if you are someone who's prone to losing your temper, you wish that you would not lose your temper as much as you do. And I could give so many other examples of places where we we recognise that in our own hearts, in our own lives, we we fail to live up to the standard that God would have for us. And as I say, there is no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. We can encounter in those places God's love for us, but we want it to end. I wonder, though, whether we have a full enough understanding of God's love and grace and patience with us, though. Because in a church like ours, when faced with the question... When faced with the question um, about how do I live to please God, then I think very quickly our answer would be, you don't need to worry about that. You're saved by grace, through faith, you're a child of God, this is your identity in Christ, and we would stop there. And that is good and right. But I wonder whether it is sufficient. What do we do, churches like us, people like you and me, when we read verses like this in Psalm 25 and John 15 that says that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear them? 
or that you are my friends when you do what I command you. We are saved by grace through faith, and yet God called us to holiness. There is a standard that, that we will never meet. <laughs> Jesus met it for us, and yet the expectation is that we will try, you know, Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. God, that there is a there is a depth of friendship that God wants us to experience, and that depth of friendship comes through living faithfully with Him, or forgive me for swearing, for living obediently. It's become a swear word in our culture, hasn't it? Obedience. There's even a a clothes brand called obey, an ironic statement of just complete, I just hate authority, hate anything that would try to uh, tell me how to live, you know, obey is something that we laugh at, obey, but, but God calls us to obey, he calls us to live faithfully with him, and yet when we don't, he loves us, his grace is for us, and is at work in us, but there is a call to obedience. That's why life groups are so important, aren't they? Because we need support and accountability to live the lives that God calls us to. Because actually, we spend two hours here, and we spend 16 waking hours every day somewhere else with other people in other places, and God wants us to live as ambassadors for him everywhere that we are. And so whether we are in, in full-time employment, or whether we are stay-at-home mums, or whether we are retired, or whatever it is, God is concerned with us living for Him in a way that glorifies Him. And we see that in this passage. And I will speak slightly more at length now about Paul's concern and therefore God's concern for our sex life. I, uh, this is one of those messages, forgive me for doing a little commentary on, on, uh, on speaking, it's one of those messages where on the 50th anniversary of Pride, I want to use my words so carefully and I know I haven't and I know I'm not going to, because you want anyone to be able to copy and paste any sentence off of the recording that's on the internet and just hear love. Just hear they are love. Because God has a right to have expectations of our sex lives, of our sex and of our sexuality. And so whether we're called to love our neighbour, aren't we? And whether our neighbour is gay or straight, whether our neighbour struggles with pornography or not, whether our neighbour is having sex outside of marriage, whether gay or straight, we are called to love, aren't we? And in fact, God loves everyone, doesn't he? So the thousands of people gathering in London for the Pride Marches this weekend, God loves every single one of them. Jesus died for every single 
one of them. And yet, as Paul longs for the sanctification of the church in Thessalonica, their sexual purity is his first concern. And this is not unusual either. Throughout the book of Acts, when different people came to faith, that it was it was instruct them to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality. They were like the two things. We, we, we don't know how to deal with all these people coming to faith, but as long as they don't eat meat sacrificed to idols and as long as they remain sexually pure, they'll be okay. As long as they do those two things, it will be all right. God's grace covers it all. So why does God care about our sex and sexuality. It's because of what sex represents, isn't it? It's because of what marriage represents. Marriage in the Bible is a picture of God's love and faithfulness to his bride, the church. And so we have, we the church, have no other God. In fact, there is no other God. God has no other people. The church are God's only people. And this is, this, is, this is an exclusive claim. No other religious group in the entire world enjoys any relationship with the one true living God. Not an ounce of relationship with him. They, like all who, who reject him, are separated from him. All they enjoy is the same common grace that God extends to all human beings, that the sun rises and it sets and it shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And so sex within marriage is a picture of the intimacy that God has with his church, of that depth of relationship, that lifelong faithful commitment where he will not give up on us no matter how much we rebel, no matter how horrible we are, he will never ever give up on us and that is why we have such high standards for marriage because our marriages speak of God's faithfulness, they speak of his uh, commitment. And so if we're married, I hope that we are investing in our marriages. If you are single, I hope you are enjoying being married to God and enjoying relationship with Him. And we must pray for one another, whether married or single, that actually we would glorify God in our bodies. The world tells us, doesn't it, that, that sex is harmless. That why does it matter who I have sex with, whether I'm married or not? Why does it matter? Romans 1 tells us that sex does, or, or sex as not sanctioned by God, is not designed by God, does harm the individual. 1 Corinthians in this passage today tells us that it harms communities. We don't know that Paul's talking about adultery here in this passage, um, and, but he says that to commit adultery 
or, or to be sexually immoral, sorry, I'm, I'm inferring that it's about adultery. To be sexually immoral is a transgression that wrongs your brother, that harms the community. for many of us, and as we talk about this, in a world that is so sexualized, this is so difficult to speak about. The, the world thinks that being able to have sex is like a basic human right. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It's not a basic human right. It's a gift of God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in a marriage forever. And that doesn't mean that there aren't grounds for divorce. I would never, I would never want someone to stay in an abusive relationship or to suffer neglect or anything like that or to put up with adultery. But this is, this is, as I say, of primary importance to God. How we use our bodies to glorify him. And this isn't just about adultery, is it? You know, how, 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 how much more easily accessible is pornography now than it used to be? You know, when you hear of the stats of the average age that, that young people encounter pornography for the first time, it is really scary. And we should be seriously worried about the environment children are growing up in, but not just our children, but us. And so every single one of us, whether we're married or whether we're single, this is, this is, this is a difficult area. How do we live well and glorify God in our bodies, in the way that we work, and, in, and with our sex and sexuality? I'm just, I'm just aware, as I say, that this is something that um, this is something that we are all susceptible to. And in a room this size, there will undoubtedly be people who have have stumbled even in this last week. It's a statistical reality. 
and yet God's love for us is so complete. His grace is so total. I, I love in, in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about these lists of people and these unrighteous behaviours and he says to them, and so were some of you. And so were some of you. There, there, is, there is genuine hope for people who struggle in this area. If Paul can write to a church and say, and so were some of you, there, there is hope that behaviour can change, desires can change, we can have freedom. And so we want to be a community, don't we, where people can experience that, where people don't think that, and as I say, you know, if someone were to get on the internet later to download this sermon and to splice it anywhere for their own games, what would they hear? I wonder if I've managed to communicate love and grace with every sentence that I've shared. We want people to know that they are loved by God. I don't believe it's sinful to experience same-sex attraction. So will someone who is gay, a man attracted to men or a woman attracted to women, but committed to following Jesus and not acting on their sexual desires, will they be welcome among us? This, this is so difficult to walk out. And I am rambling and I want to stop. Right. Okay. Guys. Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians was, as you are doing this, do it more and more. As you are doing this, more and more. As we are doing this, let us do it more and more. As we are seeking to follow God, to partner with him in his work of sanctification in our lives, Let's do it more and more. Let us extend grace to one another so that as we speak with one another, we don't, we don't leave people. I mean, we can't help how people feel and respond, can we? We can be the most gracious, loving person in the world and they can still go away feeling as though we pointed a finger and crushed them. And that was never our intention and perhaps we, perhaps we did it well. But let us live in such a way, speak in such a way, think in such a way that we just exude love, that people know the grace of God coming from us and for us. And as I say, I want, I want you to know, if as I've been speaking, you have felt a weight of an appreciation of you not partnering with God in his work of sanctification in your life, whether that is in, uh, whether that is in your sexual conduct or thoughts or whatever, or whether it's just in any area of life, it's God, I'm, I'm not taking you seriously actually I know you're calling me deeper, I know you're calling me to something more and I'm not partnering with you in this, I just want you to know that God loves you, nothing can change his love for you, he's the initiator of your relationship with him and he will complete it, so forgive yourself because God has forgiven you, give yourself a break and let him take control. And so there may be a moment, actually, so I'm going to pray in a moment, to just surrender whatever it is to God. I want to ask the band, which includes me, to come up. I'm, I'm going to pray while the band are getting ready, because I can jump behind the drums really quickly. But I want to ask, 
I want to I want to offer prayer, not not just uh, right now as we sing, but you might be urgently wanting prayer. If you're willing to pray for someone, would you mind just standing in the wings here? And if if you're if you're willing to pray for someone, would you do that now so that people can see that there is someone willing to pray? Yeah, go on, Karen. Thank you. Um, perhaps another bloke or two. Thank you, Bernard. Um, guys, these people, if, and if I'm, I know all of these people, I trust all of these people. If you don't know them, I commend them to you as people who can pray for you and help you encounter the love of God. As we sing, if you would like any prayer for anything, come and stand and chat with these guys. And I want to tell you, you don't have to give any specifics. You don't have to tell them what you want prayer for. You can just say, feel like God's really been speaking to me this morning, would you mind praying? You can just say that, and they will pray with you, um, but in fact, yeah, I'm going to leave you guys to it, I'm not even going to pray now, I'm going to go and get behind the drum. Guys, God is passionate about your conforming to the image of his son, it's the most loving desire he has, that he wants to make us like Jesus, that he would die for our sin, that we could be free from sin and become like him and have eternal life with him. And so if there is anything in your life that is stopping you from walking faithfully with him, be ruthless. Be ruthless. You know, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, I don't want that to happen here. It's a metaphor to take it seriously and experience the freedom that God wants to lead you into. And so please, I hope that we've got more people praying than we have sinning. But if we have people sinning, that's great. And if you need to speak... <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
struck me was this isn't just about heterosexual, gay, this is about, you know, or single or married, but it is about us all pursuing our own relationship with God above all else. 